Mist Cues is recorded on the traditional and unceded territory of the Katsi, Kwantlen, Lumi, Tsuwasan, and Wasanich peoples, and also in the Treaty 7 territory, the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy, Tanaha, Miti, and Sutina peoples. about theater and we have some drinks my name is thomas freaking gage my name is kate freaking stadel <laughs> thanks for joining us guys today is our our season finale we're gonna take a break because i'm in a show and kate's going to conferences and doing jobs and theater and yeah so we're gonna take a, a bit of a break after this episode but you are here and we are here and we we can't couldn't be more excited about it uh today we're gonna talk about uh your mission which is a fitting uh place to end our season and we're gonna talk about uh what are the other things we're gonna talk about kate oh things oh. that gotta die in theater right yeah Things that we'd put to death. Uh, we would give like a Game of Thrones kind of finale uh, well, to. I, I just see? started season one. Tie <laughs> Cut in. it out. Cut it out. <laughs> There's I just no started. spoilers there. <laughs> I, everything is a spoiler. <laughs> I just mentioned the name. I just mentioned the three letters, <laughs> the three words. Game of Thrones. I'm stopping you before you get into it. <laughs> I literally just started season one. I binged it this week- weekend. I'm only on episode eight. <laughs> So cut, shut your face. Speaking of cutting your face, uh, you in the on the editing floor are like a Game of Thrones cast of characters. Just yeah, yeah. Uh, but before we talk about all that stuff, half of our <laughs> episode, half of our podcast is drinking. So Kate, what are you drinking? I'm drinking my exercise liquor. <laughs> It's social light, but I picked a new flavor. It's pineapple mango. It's not as oh, good okay. as I wanted it to be, but it's growing on me. I like it. The more you drink it, the better it tastes. And I lose weight drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> it's only 80 calories. <laughs> Tom, what are you drinking? It's a treadmill in a cup. Um, I am drinking some tequila with some lemonade, which is like a bastard's margarita. <laughs> is it good? Well, I like it. Most people would hate it, probably. Yeah. Um, did yeah, we talk so, about this on the last episode? How? Yeah, um, you like tequila. No one likes tequila. No, I, that was like eight episodes ago. No, but yeah. uh, our first guest, Anton, put us to shame when he talked oh, about his drinks. His drinks were so adult. Uh, <laughs> our drinks are so shitty. <laughs> After he said that, so I had a bottle of wild turkey in in the liquor cabinet, and I was like, I'm going to put some ice to open up the flavor, and it does open up the flavor. It's wild turkey, though. Like, Anton would not approve. Anton would not approve. No. But I uh, opened up that flavor wide. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he was, like, talking about, like, specific regions and stuff, and I was just like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. I like alcohol. (laughs) I put some cleaning fluid in a glass with some ice, and Kate hates me because of the ice. I noticed that you put ice in your cup, and that's going to really... It makes me super mad editing. I'm being really careful with it. Don't fucking put ice in your cup anymore. (laughs) Put your cup in the freezer. I don't want to have a lukewarm drink. You have to start planning ahead. So, uh... Hold on. Oh, it's so gross. Uh, okay, so, um, we're gonna start off playing the game that we've played two episodes in a row now. And we're gonna finish off our season with this game, because I feel like we fine-tuned it pretty good. Okay. Uh, okay, so, Kate, give me a number between 1 and 12. Okay. This is our first character. 1. 1. Mercutio. Alright. From everybody's favorite. What's he from again? <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Uh, okay, and his weapon... What's his weapon? Four. Four. Uh, okay, uh, so Mercutio, 
this is your favorite because it's same worlds uh, is armed with the asp that Cleopatra ends it with oh. uh, by the way do you remember when I thought that Mercutio was played by Chris Rock <laughs> oh yeah that was super racist of you <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Mercutio's going to fight nine. Algernon from The Importance of Being Earnest. Two funny men. It's wit versus wit. Okay, and then... Uh, Nine. That giant plant from Little Shop of Horrors. <laughs> That's what Algernon has. Well, uh, okay. Mercutio has an asp that's poisonous, yeah. and Algernon has a giant plant that eats people. I oh, this is a tough one. Um, yeah, I mean, like I always go over the big shit will kill the little shit, so I think I would say <laughs> like the giant plant. Yeah. I go with, and I go, I tend to go with character. <laughs> I feel like Mercutio would be more willing to kill Algernon. Uh, although the game is that they're trying to kill each other, and um, Algernon, Algernon is pretty unscrupulous. I mean, if you're willing to lie to your, to your relatives, you're probably willing to kill somebody, am I right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I'll go with big shit. Algernon <laughs> with the big plant. <laughs> These are excellent justifications. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Oscar Wilde's entire point like that? No, he was probably make the, making the point that morality is dumb. I don't know. Yeah, that's, that's why you get a big-ass plant to kill people with. <laughs> yeah. Big-ass sassy plant, for that matter. Uh, is it sassy? Super sassy. Oh, man, for sure. <laughs> Sass beats asp any day. <laughs> Cool. All right, that's great. Good one. Uh, that was a we, good one. We do need to do one more so that we end up with eight characters moving forward. Okay. Um, is there only eight left, or? I don't know. Twelve minus sixteen, or whatever. Oh god, I don't even know what you're talking about. Uh, okay, well, I'll try not to repeat. Have we done two? Two. No, we have not. Two. Mormons. Mormons. <laughs> they should have been weapons. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, and then the Mormons. Characters and weapons. Mormons wielding Mormons. <laughs> Mormons are equipped with... Seven? Have I done seven? The poison tip? Yeah, okay. Is this you? Yeah. <laughs> is this... That's Hamlet. The, is this Hamlet's... Okay, this is Hamlet's poison tipped sword? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not his wang. Oh, did he poison his wang? <laughs> <laughs> that play got darker than I remember it. That's a, that's a different version oh, I saw. That's why they. Do oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's gotta be a good porno name to Hamlet. <laughs> Hamlet. Gross. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay. Um, four? Have I done four? Effie White, Dream Girls, Jennifer Hudson. Do you know who that I is? Know. Like, I, I mean, I, I know Jennifer Hudson. I know of Dream Girls. Um, she has that big song. She yeah, gets great. kicked cool. out of the group and then has a big song. Okay. She's badass. Uh, okay. Badass. And three? Have I done three? Hairspray. <laughs> Even more badass. That shit gets in your eyes. Do you, have you ever tried hairspraying Mormons at your doorstep? That seems, I if that that seems unnecessarily cruel. <laughs> Although Effie would do it. She would totally do that. She's got a and she's got pretty big hair in that show too, so I would feel like I feel like you could claim not self defense, but like that you're being altruistic. I was just trying to do their hair, Your Honor. Yeah. I feel like character versus character, like Effie would like annihilate a Mormon or Mormons because they come in pairs. So definitely. She's like she just, she doesn't, she wouldn't put up with that shit. Uh, she has a weak weapon, though. Yeah, yeah, see, and I, I don't know the musical um, Book of Mormon, so I don't know what they are in 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 the context of that play. They're Mormons. Like how, They're exactly well, what know. you're thinking. But, like, 
they can be pretty subversive and destroy people's lives as an organization. Yeah, they like talk you into it for sure. Um, you give them a poison tip on top of it. <laughs> Could you imagine if they came door to door and that you also knew that like in their left pocket there's like a poison tip? Well, they usually have that special Bible that they have, don't they? With the Third Testament or something. It's the Book of Mormon. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> or am I thinking of the J Dubs? I always get them mixed up. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, I. Do you think they've started like doing Facebook ads yet? They should. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I still think Effie would win. Effie beat like a lot of bullshit in her life. She could beat. Right. She could beat a I'll Mormon. I'll give it to her. Right. I'm easily swayed in this one. Great. Perfect. That was a good Effie one. White. Those are good ones. All right. They were super tight. All right, so let's move on. Slide whistle. Uh, this is a topic that we've talked about a couple of times in passing, and we've all, I've always kind of made a mental note that, like, oh, this is this is worth a full conversation about. Uh, and and that's your company's mission, right? Well, not my Viuses? my company's mission. Not your company. You're one's tra- company. You're talking about everyone's a theater company's mission. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I mean, the, the context in which it's come up is uh, I, I was slacking with you, Kate, saying that if I were to pick a, uh, a catchphrase for you, it would be a but don't change your mission to do it. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't I feel like I only said that once. Did I say it a lot? Like 20 times, probably <laughs> like once per episode, maybe thrice per episode, um, now, which is now funny I don't because I know if that's true. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because the first thing that you told me was like, oh, that's so funny because I, I actually think that it'd be fine for you to change your mission. So, but let's talk about like your mission. Like what, like Kate, like in your experience, like do pe- are people willing to change their missions too easily? Like what, what do you think you would, would, would lead you to say that? And in what context is it okay to, to change your mission? Okay. Well, in I think what context is it not? If the data and the audience is telling you that what you're doing isn't working anymore, then you could look at adjusting your mission. All right, so let's start... As the first step? No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But if you you were discovering that your mission and mandate and value system is, like, just totally, like, just not working on a lot of regards, there's cultural regards, there's historical regards, like, a lot of points to like make these things not actually functional anymore then yeah like take a look at it i think the danger comes is like what what is your mission in the first place so if you have a mission i i always like to give like an obvious example so it's like if your mission is like i only want to do like musical theater okay and don't and what i want to preface this with is that there's no mission that's better than the other okay if you're an artistic director and you want to push forward something specific in the theater industry then stick with it just and it helps to like have it written out in like two sentences so you remember what you're doing and why it helps to have it written down well you have to like that's like a yeah it's stupid not to plus there's like most theaters pretty much all of them are not-for-profit charitable organizations so these are requirements of getting that status now this is why i think it's important though because it's a guide it's a north star it's your guiding feature Um, If you are wavering from what you're doing for no good reason, then take a look at what you're doing and why and why you started it in the first place and what you're moving forward on. Now, if you find, like I said, if you're looking at, let's say you have like 10 years of your immaturity and you've got 10 years of just like data proving that audience is going down, 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 down then I would say take a look. Take a look at what you're doing and why. But I don't think you need to drastically change what you're doing. Like, this is where I think that this is, like, I've seen lots of companies change their their mission, their value statement, um, and that's okay. They're just, but I would say that's more like a defining moment for them. Um, But I don't want people to, like, sort of feel like, okay, like, this is where things go wrong, is, like, you're a theater company in... um, your mission is to only create Shakespeare, let's say. And there's like a bunch of people that came to your shows and 
you've noticed in the city that in the last 10 years, like musicals are really popular. So you just fucking start doing musicals. No reason or rhyme behind it. You just want to get audience. That's where I think you're going wrong. You're not, right. you're not, you're not good at you. The point of you doing theater as a company, as an individual, isn't to just, isn't specifically to get audience in. It's to find your audience and get them in and understand who they are. And then they will come to you. And that's where I think it's possible to change because you've become irrelevant. I think that's okay. I just don't think it's safe when people all of a sudden are like, well, I'll just throw in this like guys and dolls this year just because I think it'll be people will like it. That's when you waver. That's when people go, who the fuck are you? Like not. Sorry, that's the wrong way. That's when people go, who the fuck are these people? Because they're going all over the map and they don't understand who you are. So you're you're going to waver and it's going to falter. So that's is that clear? Yeah. So, I mean, I think what I'm understanding is that maybe a lot of companies suffer from a poorly articulated mission that um, doesn't clearly define them. Uh, Well, that happens, too. That's not really what I was getting at, though. (laughs) I think um, just don't be reactive and not listening to your mission and changing your season just in order because you you saw a drop off of audience i think data works both ways right like data works in the way that like when you get really you dive really deep into it you gather it you analyze it you have 10 years worth of it which is very very valuable and you look at it and it's telling you a story of who 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 follows you who is your audience who are your supporters um but it can also work in a way that it will tell you what people don't want anymore as well and i think that that's important to listen to but i think you have to sort of like i always feel like um and this goes not only for a company but i think this goes for personal missions and mandates as well i think it's important for people to have personal value systems and missions that they want to fulfill because that will help you guide that will help guide yourself in the right direction to succeed as well so if you have um like i personally like i want to do theater that is going to at least set a standard for advocacy and set a standard for pushing the art form forward and i want to help those people create that and get it out there um so i have a hard time like working for a theater company that only wants to do um, like Shakespeare. I would find that quite dull, to be honest. Now, they might have a uh, different way of portraying the Shakespeare that they want to do. It might actually align with my own personal values. It might not. So I think, but or if you're working with a company that um, works in a way that just doesn't align with your values is very obvious way of thinking about that. So if they are always doing plays that are 100% cast and acted by white people and men and patriarch and colonialism style stuff, you know, that might align with you and that's okay. But if it doesn't, then don't work for them. You know, you're just going to be totally unmotivated and you're going to be completely unsatisfied. So mission comes from your values and then... And what you want to achieve. And there's there's a lot of them out there that are very generic sounding, which is okay. Um... But there's usually like a few key words that are your, like I said, your, your Northern Star, you know, your foundation. Are there ever missions that you think that like would not make room for things like Indigenous voices? Like that, like, is there ever a point where like people can look at their missions and be like, well, this thing's not for us because we're not about indigenous voices right or is this like a point where it's like well no if if that's where you're at look at it i i think that there's always room for uh it's not a i don't think that there are definitely missions out there that are set up for only doing bipoc um it's only for bipoc people that's different than saying something that um, this is only for like white privileged people, you know, some of that might be inherently said in like their style that they choose because you might say, okay, well, we're only going to do like Neil Simon from now on, you know? So how is that 
helping or, or what are you going to do? Um, so maybe here's a better question. Like if you're looking at your season and you're looking at the work that you've done in the last 10 years and all you're seeing is white plays led by white dudes with supporting a few supporting white ladies, because let's be honest, most classical theater has shit parts for women. Uh, does that say anything about your mission at that point? Like, should you be taking a hard look at it? Like, if you're like, if you're saying like, no, my values are actually like uh, diversity and inclusion. Well, but then you look at your your entire season, like your last ten yeah, years, yeah, and it does not reflect that. Like, what does that say? Well, I think your own personal values. If you're inadvertently choosing only like white colonialistic privileged male plays um then you might just want to look at your play selection at that point like open your minds a little bit to like what you're doing and who you're talking to um i honestly can't imagine that there's a specific example of a mission statement that would specifically inherently like portray that type of theater i think that there's a lot of examples though of like them doing that inadvertently but just through white lens yeah and that's what i mean right like because I think a lot of people would look at something like the grants for indigenous programming and be like, well, that's not for us. But why wouldn't it be? Well, right? like and, that's, and that's a dangerous thing, too, which we've talked about before. Like, if you decide to just do an indigenous play to get um, money, then you're, you're, you're tokenizing these people. Well, and funding goes to, like, funding does not go to people who could have done it properly, right? Like, if you're taking funding and uh, Robert LaPage um, <laughs> um, and using it to tell your own story and pretend that it's uh, representing indigenous stories, mm-hmm. then that funding is funding that's not going to somebody else. And that's, right? that's the exact same thing. Like, I don't think that you could, you could take a look at uh, Ex Machina and look at their mission mandate and it probably sounds like a reasonable mission mandate value system. Right. It's not like, we're going to exploit your story. No, exactly. No. But that's different from, the, like, the choices they're making artistically. It's, it is it is and it isn't different. It, it, it's different in the sense that you can have this blanket statement, which is something that should be your... When you are feel like you're wavering in your cause, or when you feel like you're wavering in the choices that you're making, go back to that original piece. Go back to the yeah. why. Go back to the why. Why am I doing this? So it's it, it has to be hard, especially like if you're in a leadership position at a theater company, and theater companies tend to be small enough that if you're, as long as you're not just a social media coordinator, I'm sorry, all social media coordinators, but if like you're you're probably you probably have like a, a significant impact on representing that theater and the leadership that that theater like of that theater, right? So. To what extent does it, does the company's values reflect your own, right? To what extent can you, like, say, no, these are not my values, and instead of walking away from it, no, you can, can change you say, it then. we're going to shape yeah, it, you and we're going to shift then. this mission? I think that that's okay, and I think that's very common, especially when a new artistic director comes into a role. Um, it depends on where you're at with your strategic plan. Like, if you're year two of a five-year plan, you might have to wait. Um but if it doesn't, I mean, here's the other thing, though. Like, if you're looking at somebody's mission statement and you're applying for a job and it is, like, horrendously different from your own personal values, like, why the fuck are you applying for that job? It could be if, if you're if you're if the number one reason you're going in there is just to, like, turn it around. That's different. But if it's like, well, but like if you it's said, one value mission... versus another, then it's don't apply. But most... But most mission statements aren't actually written in a way that you're like, oh, wait, that does not show. Like, they yeah. tend to be ins- inspiring yeah. statements, right? They're to check and boxes so what, for grants sometimes, too. Yeah. But that's why right, I, I think you've, uh, most people I've noticed a trend, and this might be older than I think it is, but a lot of people have value statements within their companies. And those are usually the things that you're going to find on their website over at the mission statement. But even value statement, right? So, like, there's what you say and then there's what you do. You never really... It's hard to see what a company is going to do until, like, you're in those... I agree. And that's what I find sad about those situations. About what? which ones? You, you, should, you should be doing what you're saying. 
Like if you have a if you have a lengthy value statement, you should be doing those things every time. And if you're not, you got to go back to that and like remember why you said it in the first place. Because I think personally, I think uh, the only time when you have a really hard time making a decision, especially if it's a high stakes decision. If you're not clear on how to move forward, it's usually because you're wavering from those visions and the values and the missions. Or if you're at a head with like somebody in the company and it's like so different, that's usually why. I think that those difficulties is where you prove your mission, though. Yeah. Like it's where you prove your values, yeah, right? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that's where you can come to Robert- consensus on people. You can come to consensus with people on that, too. If you're like, hey, like we have like we have like A and B opinions. It's like, well, how does this further our cause? How does this clarify our mission and our values and our and our vision statements? I'm saying that your your mission and your your values are worth shit if when it's the hardest you ditch them. Like this is where you forge them. This is where you prove them. When you're about to lose everything and you choose, instead of sacrificing what we say we're about in order to make some money or in order to whatever, this positive thing, we're gonna we're going to stand by our values, which is right. Let's go into this social hacktivism or whatever that like all the I've been tweeting. Have you seen? I've been tweeting living shit out of it. Like this is what drives me insane about uh, this this new social impact trend that big companies are on, because it's so easy to be about inclusion and diversity, Nike, when when your data says that you're going to gain more uh, customers than you're going to lose. It's it's easy to be against gun violence and Delta when uh, you're going to gain, you're going to get, your, your announcement is going to uh, create a, a lot of uh, uh, traffic or, or get you a lot of positive interactions, right? It's so easy when... Uh, you get good like I want to see people lose money because they do that I want to see people like take a stand and it costs you that says something about your visions that says something about your mission that says something about your values right this is Robert McKee this is writing if you're if you're a writer if you're a playwright your characters are defined by the actions that they take when it costs them everything not when it's easy not when like they're not heroic because uh, they're courageous when they have nothing to lose. They're heroic because when they had everything to lose, they made the, the, the hardest possible decision. I I stand, you know, and I might just be a little, like, too optimistic about, like, life in general sometimes. But, like, I stand by the fact that, like, those things you will get, you will be seen for the fraud that you are eventually. But every company has missions and values, and none of them are negative. And yet, a lot of companies act in very negative ways, yeah, right? But they're that's because their missions are generic; they don't mean anything. And that's not to say that with theater you have to have like a very like politically charged mission and mandate. You don't have to. Just stay true to like what you want to have on stage. Stay true to like what you want to fill space with. And I fully believe that if it's not working for society, if it's not working for culture, numbers will tell you that in the long run. Yeah. I, and I, I, I will say, I think that you don't, you don't need to say in your mission, like where you are on political or social issues. No, 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 no. That's just an easy example. But you should know where you're at with them, right? Like, you should, like, look at, like, well, what do we think about all these things that are happening in the world? Because your audience thinks something about that. And then this is kind of writing on what you said, right, which is uh, I, I'm, I'm tired of wanking artists. What do you who, mean? <laughs> just, <laughs> who, like, they're, the people who just think that they're, art is just out there like right like i just need to create the art and then um audiences need to like it or audience like it's and and that's not that's an unfair characterization of them but essentially it's the idea of no i'm not going to shift based on whether or not i have an audience because here's the deal 
and and there's nuance and subtlety to this, but half of what we do is about an audience, like a, a large part, maybe more than I, I, let, let's let's do fractions, like one, like f- fourteen sixteenths of what we do uh, involves an audience. The audience is inseparable from the art piece. And if you go out there and you say, I don't care about the audience, then that to me is wanking. And so it's exactly what you said, right? Like if, if people aren't coming and you've tried different things, right? You've tried comedies, you've tried musicals, you've tried blah, 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 whatever it is. Like, look at your mission because it matters. Like what, where, what you, what you're about, uh, matters. And your programming reflects that, right? If your audiences are dying and you're just constantly doing the same old farces and what, like, it's there's just no vibrancy in the plays that you're selecting, and there's nothing, there's nothing new. You're not pushing the envelope, and you're not, you, right. You're not, you're, you're you're not meeting that need. You're not you're not filling that hole that's there because you've not identified it. You've not looked at like what what are we here to exist, right? What is our role with our community? What do we want to bring to the community? You've not defined that. Then that's going to reflect in the audiences. There's a difference though between like not caring about what the audience thinks and like appealing to the wrong audience or like because here's the thing. Oh yeah, for sure. Not everything has to be politically charged. Not everything has to be yeah. I'm going to leave it at that. Not everything has to be politically. You can just make. You can just want. You can do guys and dolls. That's okay. You can do Sweeney Todd and it doesn't have to be a commentary on like rent hikes. Don't do it for the wrong reason though is what I'm saying. And then you cannot give a shit about the audience. That doesn't mean the audience isn't going to not give a shit about you. If I think there's a difference there because you can not care. You can, you can be an artistic person and not give a shit, but hopefully for your benefit, there's a kick-ass, you know, executive director or GM behind you making sure that the audience does give a shit. Um, because they don't always pay the bills, but they at least make you relevant. Because at that point, I think it's not so much about selling tickets. I'm not talking about box office. I'm not talking about revenue. I'm talking about taking space. And if you're using a, a medium, which the sole purpose is to create art for an audience, then you're just taking up space. And it's just a waste of space, if you ask me. It's a waste of a soapbox. It's a waste of a platform, however you want to look at it. Um, So I don't think that you have to give a shit about the audience, but I think that you need to have somebody who's on your team that does, or at least pays attention to what they're saying. Because I've said, I, I did not come up with this phrase. I don't remember where I heard it. I've heard it a couple times. Culture will eat your strategy for breakfast. So you can have your 10-year culture, you can have your 10-year strat plan, but if you don't adjust it accordingly with culture, you're fucked. Yeah, and I think that's what I'm trying to get at, right? Like, like we, as much as we, like, artists are, need to be the, at the heartbeat of, uh, uh, of where we're at. Right, we need to be responding. We need to be talking to people. And yes, we can, like, there. Yes, sure, we can be visionaries as well. Right, we can be like, like five years ahead. But like, not everybody be five years ahead. Like, some people just need to be here. Some people need to be talking to people now, where like where they are, and and addressing the issues that are relevant today. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. But if yeah. you're doing the, that time and time and time again, and your data starts telling you this is not working for your people anymore you can adjust your mission mandate that's okay or you can start figuring out who your audience actually is <laughs> you know sometimes that's an alternative mode as well but question your mission and mandate even if you just made it like a month ago you know take a look at it and just make sure that it's serving you it's serving you first and then if you believe in it, if it's something that's relevant to you, it will probably serve others as well because you're probably not the only one out there. Where I think you're going to notice where if what you're chosen is wrong or like horribly irrelevant, like I'm only going to do shows about white supremacy and toting gun laws. Um, hopefully, like you just don't get funding. <laughs> or but even just... 
or even just that are tone deaf, right? Like, not even, like, doesn't have to be that extreme. It, it can be like, hey, we're going to talk about white supremacy, and it's going to be all by white guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's exactly. so tone deaf. Yeah, tone deaf is a really good example. Um, I unfortunately have been to a conference where that was the exact case. <laughs> And it was super obnoxious, but you're right. Um, I mean, I just hope that it's not about being reactive. It's about listening and responding. And you can, if you like believe in what you have your North star, like set to, um, then you're going to have the answers if people start questioning you. But if it's not working for you anymore, you're going to know, you're going to know in your gut. And I think that's where you start saying, okay, like maybe I just need to adjust this or maybe this, the way culture is now isn't serving this purpose anymore. You know, like saying things like, uh, like a, a, an obvious example is like when people were like, no, no, uh, no photos once you're in the theater. <laughs> it's like, oh, wait, if people take that picture of the stage, like before the show starts, that actually generates like buzz. Like maybe we need to change that a little bit, you know. So that takes us to things that should die. All right, it's okay. Okay, so you want to? I don't want to phrase it as things that have to die. <laughs> well, you just did. No, you just did. <laughs> um, what I was trying to get at, although you like to call things like do or die, um, was we talk. We've talked like one of our underlining themes in almost every episode we've recorded this season is being pissed off about historical factors and cultural historical factors in theater that are dragging theater down and things that we which is funny because that's not at all what we set off to do right like no, when we started talking like up. we were just like yeah we were just like hey we like talking about these theater topics yeah which and inherently is maybe like them. super fucking ageist against seniors which is like not really <laughs> what i set out to do either and like i also like don't I'm going to start questioning that from now on in my own character. Yeah, you should. Seniors are lovely people, all of them, every single sure, one of yeah. them. Yeah, well, people are people. It's fine. But I've never said that seniors are the worst generation. What are you talking you about? <laughs> what? Why are you throwing me under the bus now? It's true. I am throwing you under the bus. Although you did phrase it as like, Kate says that they have to all die. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very fuck kill version. Uh, New. That's, that's not what I was getting at. Uh, no, but I am. I was trying to like. I, what I wanted to do was hone in on these things that we always say are like uh, uh, traditions or historical factors that are dragging theater down. Because I think a lot about this too. Because I think whenever I talk about this stuff, it always comes across as me like just totally wanting to. Um, uh, like disregard any sort of like historical factors that have been put in place. I don't want to do that, but I do think there are things that are carried on for no reason. So um, an obvious one that I want to talk about is uh, Canadian actors equity. Um, they have a lot of rules for the actors that probably initially were, had good reason behind them as most of the, uh, the union rules do. Um, but there's things in regards to like promotion that, you can't do as a producer. Um, so an example of one is um, filming the show for archival reasons. So they used to have this rule where when you filmed a show for archival reasons, you actually had to put like a piece of string across your camera so that you couldn't use it for promotion, like ever, right? They don't make you do that anymore. <laughs> um, however, uh if you're filming the show for the purpose of trying to tour the show, you technically aren't allowed to show people that video. The only people that can see the video of your archival are the people, like, if you were, like, remounting it and you had a new actor coming on or whatever. That's it. How does that protect the actors? Doesn't that incentivize, like, companies to film it, fire one of the actors so that they can hide? They're not going to fire anybody. They can't do that. No, I know, but just... But I think like, I think if, if you're going to try and show it to another artistic director across the country just because you want to sell it to them, who fucking cares? Like, I'm showing this archive because I want people to buy it so that this actor can have more work across the country. But in, and even beyond that, like, just, yeah, just 
you're not just promoting yourself as the organization. You're paying. You're putting the money, and that's promoting the actor. I know. This is what I'm saying. <sighs> okay, so that's one. <laughs> um, and I think I've talked about this before, and you've talked about this before, but uh, programs. So there is actually Canadian Actor Equity rules with programs. Um, I can't remember if the rule is that you have to have them printed, but here's the rule that I do know, okay? You, I don't have to have them printed like in the sense where I have to hand one out to every single person that comes into the audience. But if I don't have that, what I do have to have is at least it's printed and like on a board, like in the theater. And that's separate from the cast board. That's a different thing. I'm not talking about that board that like has just the photo and the name and the character that they're playing. I need to have like the name and the bio, like posted on a wall somewhere, like basically like a program version, like so that humans can see it when they walk into the theater. I know you look so pissed off. I agree. It's super dumb. Uh, when we, when I was listening to that episode on the where we talked a lot about marketing, well, that was on marketing. Like one of the things that struck me as I was listening to it that I hadn't caught, caught when we were talking was that a lot of your objections were like, no, but Tom, we know that. That's not the problem. The problem is that not that not we allowed. know it, don't know it, is that or we just don't have the capacity. We don't have the resources. And of course, you don't have the resources because your resources are spent doing stupid shit yeah. that union forces you to do when you could be spending that time doing things that are far more useful. God damn it. Print is not the end all be all of everything. And this is what I'm By saying the way, about their their mission and mandate has been eaten alive by culture. Okay? They had these rules the put in place because people shit. used to take advantage of actors and not give them the, the promotion that was required. And back when like a handheld program or a handheld bio would have been something very useful to somebody, that is no longer the case. And now what's happened is there's pushback and it's bullshit and it's a waste of money. And we all know that it's a waste time. of money and time. And like, here's the thing. Like, it seems like, like these rules. <laughs> yeah. And this is going to be an overstatement. <laughs> and lacking all subtlety, but it feels like these rules that are created, it's like, if it benefits, if it benefits the theater company, it can't benefit the actor too. So we have to choose things that benefit the actor and are of no benefit to the theater. You know? Like, oh, you're promote. No, you know, you're not promoting the actor. You're just promoting yourself. Well, yeah, but by promoting our show, like, the actor is in his best environment when he... W they. The, her, his. Their best environment when they're rehearsed, when they're doing a show that, that like... Ah... Let them. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. And I think, you okay. know, it obviously came from a place where they were being taken advantage of and they were trying to stop that. But you're right. It's not. There needs to be a better understanding of when people are trying to achieve things. It's not for their own feeder company personal benefit. Some of them are. Don't get me wrong. Like some some are bad for that. Um, and there are rules in place that also prevent this. But Really, like by preventing the pursuit, by preventing the producer to succeed with the show, you're preventing the actors from getting work, which is the exact opposite of what your mission and mandate is. Union needs to like understand marketing in the 21st century a lot better to be effective for the for the actors. All right. So that's that one. Um, so my second one is um, for fuck's sake. gatekeepers. <laughs> Yeah, what about gatekeepers? Is it clear? Great, is it clear right? what I'm saying when I'm talking about gatekeepers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the trolls that sit uh, in front of a gate and they tell you you gotta pass the. Oh no, that's the that's, that's a toll. It's actually toll not what I'm about. <laughs> Shit. I was thinking like Monty Python. Basically, like uh, leaders of organizations, like large org. I, I, I specifically am gonna pick on large organizations, but it can be any organization. It can be it can be me. People that basically will like allow success or failure of like an individual um, or or a group. Um, I think that you get to a point in your career where yeah, you've probably done a ton of the training, you've got the education, you have the life experience, blah 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 blah. I'm not going to disregard that again. Not going to disregard the road that has been previously paved. What I am going to disregard 
is the inability to tell these people or to um, motivate these gatekeepers to continue to learn and to be trained. There's always something that you can catch up with. There's always something new you can be a part of. And if you're unable to open that door or open your mind to that aspect, then you don't deserve to be the keeper of the gate anymore. Because you should be the one who's setting the example for everybody else. And you should be the one who's getting the exceptional training beyond any circumstance. You should be the one who is putting yourself in a really awkward and, and like you said before, a high risk environment in order to per- in order to push your company forward and to make sure that that culture is not eating you for breakfast. And if you're unwilling to learn and if you're unwilling to open your mind to those concepts, you are going to destroy the company that you probably put a lot of effort into and building up. You are going to be the reason why the data in 10 years is going to all of a sudden surprise you at how shitty it looks. Yeah. I like that you said like the data in ten years because even like like that's what you gotta think about too, right? Like it's it's great to think about like oh, but we're still doing really well. Yeah, what are you gonna be like in ten years? Yeah, it's that whole concept. Uh, I I brought this up I think in one of the interviews we did, um, but I've talked about it before. It's called cathedral thinking, and it's yeah, you're gonna be the person who maybe designs and and starts the creation of that cathedral, but you're not gonna be the one who sees it finished, and that's good. Or like cathedral, like there's also cathedral thinking, like big thinking. But Kate, because I did so well in 2000, what do I have to learn from a theater company in Baltimore? This is what I'm saying. <laughs> Stop making me repeat myself. No, no, that's fine. Is things fucking change, and they change fast, faster than you're probably comfortable with, faster than I'm probably comfortable with. But you got to deal with that. Get over it. Put your, put your ego aside and lead with the why and not with the who. I don't... Maybe there are companies that coast. It just feels like the instant you start coasting, you're actually starting to go down. I agree. Like, I don't know. I, I can't think of any, like, point where, like, coasting is where you want to be. I find coasting to be boring, but maybe like, you know, there's lots of people that really want to like get to that achievement level of just coasting. But and I think that you could coast and go, okay, we're just coasting now. Like you could take you could have a 10 year coast. You could have an even maybe even like a slight incline 10 year coast, 20 year coast. But if you're smart enough, you're going to get ahead of that decline. Yeah, and the only way, but the only way that you're doing that, that like, and that coast is happening in the data, but the only way that you're maintaining that coast is by doing a lot of work by, like, getting ahead. Yes, this is what I'm saying. Like, anybody who's got, like, if you're coasting, you're probably coasting for two years, maybe five years at the max. And, like, that stagnation is common. Like, if, like, if you want to just relax and chill you're in the wrong industry i agree and i think that if you are staying ahead of it and you have like a loyal group of people that are behind you they will stay behind you if you are making slight changes to um readjust for what culture is telling you that needs to be changed and it doesn't have to be drastic change it just has to be something that's relevant and honestly, like even like as long as you're building processes, right, where people understand what they're doing and they have like they are set up to succeed. People on your team, as long as people on your team are set up to succeed and you're not like just taking like whipping them back and forth like arbitrarily. This is what like, I'm talking about all along. You. Yeah. And this is what I mean about gatekeepers need to have the training because then you will have loyal followers and not necessarily audience, but maybe your staff, because if you're not keeping up with that culture, and you're not continuing your training and your efforts and sitting in uncomfortable states, then you are setting everybody up who's following you for failure. If you're just, if you're happy coasting and slapping your name on the end of it, then you are setting up your organization for failure. 
Yeah, and and your successor, because you will have a successor, you will. by the way. Whether you <laughs> want it or not, it's going to happen. You'll be fucked. Everybody's going to be fucked. And then those are the people who are going to come in. They're going to wipe clean. They're going to change your mission and mandate. You're going to lose a shit ton of audience. And then they're going to have to spend another 10 years building it up. And that's not necessarily an issue. But man, are you making a lot more work for that next person. And then you can sit there and bitch and moan about how the next generation is just fucking all the stuff up that you did. Or you can own up to the fact that maybe because you didn't keep up with the culture, you're the reason why it all fucked up. Preach. I love it. So those are my two things. This is Kate fired up. (laughs) So my things, they're not things that should die, but things that should um, perish. Um, Yeah, things that should be reevaluated. Things that still bog us down. Uh, So I mentioned tone-deaf programming already. I, like... It's surprising how much I still see. You still see it. You go to a play and you're like, oh, I don't know about this one. Let's see. I'm sure if they're doing it, it'll be fine. Nope, 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 nope. It's not. (laughs) 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 Uh, So that's one. Yeah. Like just. And this is this is the thing that we keep on, on going back to. This is my own. This is my whole thing with canon, right? My my actual thing with canon is that play may not be the best play uh, for what you're trying to do, right? Like doing uh, all my sons and and doing it uh, uh, colorblind cus- casting may not be the best play to be saying the thing that you wanted to say. If you want to say a thing, say that thing and choose the best play to say it. If you want to do all my sons fucking do all my sons like everybody fucking else right uh, or just go to the community theater right the community theater would love for you to have to do all my sons anyway by the way community theaters you can also stop doing all my sons um, <laughs> and what was that one that you and I saw at the cult that everybody does every five minutes the one about the west <laughs> oh true west <laughs> yeah Sam Shepard everybody does that play I really love Sam Shepard. Sam Shepard is great, but God, everybody does him. Uh, okay, so my second thing is obviously marketing, right? Like, obviously, the shadow of the 90s hangs upon us, and it's crazy. It's uh, uh, it's sad. It's unfortunate. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have much more to say about that than, than what I've already said. TV is not your... Like, that's not your pinnacle, right? Uh, You're much better off uh, on YouTube than you are on TV. So, like, rethink the way that you think about marketing. Uh, Create a small niche audience and build on it, right? It's, like, marketing's just completely changed. If, like, here's, like, I guess, like, from our marketing episode, like, here's the thing that I would say, right? Like, we're so afraid that by ditching all these things that we do, right, which is very print focused newspapers newspaper ads newspaper previews newspaper reviews posters uh like these things like cost so much money and we're so afraid that if we don't do those to check the box it's gonna be worse uh and time and time again organizations that have spent the money that they like those things have let me finish that sentence they have spent the money that they did on print media in digital instead have seen better results uh there's nothing wrong inherently with print media it has its place in your marketing channel i would just say um uh, if you are going to do one or the other, digital is so much better for you. Yeah, it's a risk doing something completely different. But if, like, if you look at it from a logical perspective, in terms of the things that uh, digital ads afford, like, give you the benefits that they give you in terms of you can set your own budget, you can set uh, your audience, you can choose it like down to the niche, you can uh, set how long you run your your ads for, like that, and then you can see exactly your results. Like that in itself speaks for itself. Where you put a poster, you have no idea who sees it. You have no idea who takes action on it. Anyway, so marketing. Uh, and then my third one is elitism. Like I, I, one of the things that I, I, I find remarkable, I'm constantly proud of being what I call theater adjacent. 
uh, because I think that like we're we're leading the way in a lot of things. Uh, no organization does that thing on values that I talked about, where they're risking shit uh, based on their values, right? Making it more accessible, uh, making it more inclusive, making it more diverse. Uh, theater. I, I haven't seen uh, industries that do it better. It doesn't mean that we're there yet, right? There's still a lot of work to do. But one of the places is uh, in terms of elitism. I think that we, we're still a very elitist uh, uh, industry. Uh, we're very uh, a very close community, but I think that we're also a very closed community. And you can see that a lot in, in a lot of the conversations that there's such stupid conversations, but they're I think they're they're re- re- revealing, right? That happen in terms of uh, standing ovations, right? Like y- you can just see that flare up anytime, like there's a tension uh, g- going on with, with with something like that, and uh, I I would continue to push. And it's the same thing with the diversity and inclusion, right? Like we've talked about the tokenism in the season. Um, it, it it's a big thing. And be, just because you do a land acknowledgement, which I acknowledge that we do, and uh, I, I think we'll talk about this in the, our learnings, like, it, it doesn't mean shit. Like, you've not done mm-hmm. enough. I disagree. Right? But I think if you're doing it well, I just d- to check I, I the box, I disagree that it, yeah. it doesn't mean shit. Yeah, but, yeah. like, like it's, yeah, it's not, you're not done. No. Like, that yeah. is yeah, my point, right? Point, like, yeah. it's not, that's not the end of it. So those are my things. Great. I like it. So, uh, okay, what did you learn this season? Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, that's no, fine. Go ahead. What did you learn? Uh, well, you actually talked about it the most ever, and I, you've never talked about it before, which kind of annoys me because I thought it was going to be, like, cool and ending. <laughs> <laughs> um, God damn it. Sorry. I, no, <laughs> don't be sorry. You can cut no, it don't out. be sorry. It's good. <laughs> um, uh, but you were really highlighting today about the uh, concept of risk, and something that was pointed out to me not so long ago was as being um, a, a, a white person of privilege. It doesn't mean shit unless you're willing to risk your voice. And I think that for me, a lot of what we're doing here, I probably wouldn't have done five years ago just out of that fear of saying something wrong. Um, but I think there's a lot of learning and a lot of understanding going on in the in the terms of not being afraid to be wrong. And we're okay even doing that in a public platform. And I think that that's great. Opening that space and using our privilege in order to not only risk our voice for others that are might maybe don't want to risk it. Maybe the risks are higher. Maybe uh, they're just fucking tired of risking it. I think that now that feels like it's part of my job and part of my everyday focus. So I think that that's something that really changed my mind in the last like like in the season, I'll say. Um, I also, uh, and this ties into a lot of like, basically there was like a process even just through you and I talking over the last season about understanding um, uh, whitewashing of um, people in general and and how bad theater is for that. Um, I actually discovered a term just yesterday today actually out of a show that i saw on the weekend um and another aspect of whitewashing is also femme washing (laughs) um having not necessarily like an obvious example is casting a woman in a men's in in a traditional male role just for that purpose but also understanding that maybe we need to just start adjusting what we feel is powerful and why it's powerful and just because a woman is doing something that's traditionally a manly endeavor um is great, but that doesn't necessarily make that powerful in the same sense that we used to think that it was. Um, and I think that femme washing is actually like something that I'm starting to notice a lot more of that is very, very frustrating to see, especially in two dimensional characters. So, um, those are things that I am willing to use this platform of our podcast to risk my voice. I'm not going to leave it at that. It definitely goes into my everyday practice. Um, but it is a great stepping stone in that, in that sense. Um, in terms of your comment about land acknowledgements, I actually, I I've thought about that lots about how that was essentially just checking a box, not only in our podcast, but in everything that I've done where we do land acknowledgements at the beginning of meetings or at the beginning of productions, um, and what does that mean? 
and why is it different? Like, I actually have found like 16 different versions of the one that I understand to be true. And why am I afraid to say the wrong thing? We're plateauing on the step of um, land acknowledgement to the point where people are either going to stop paying attention or we need to start maybe just changing it so that the focus has changed and a little bit more uh, laser focused on what the purpose of it is now instead of just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um, So those are things that definitely I've taken into my everyday practice and it's as a result of this conversation that you and I tend to have once a week. Like the land acknowledgement is like a a good one because we started the podcast and you brought it up. You said, Hey, I want to do a land acknowledgement. And, and you're, I was feeling the exact same way. Um, And the reason we were doing it was we wanted to start off. Right. Right. We didn't, right. Like from the beginning, we wanted it to be about this. Um, and the funny thing is, like what, like like we said earlier, like this was never what the podcast was about when we started recording a year ago. It was nowhere near going to be this heavy of a uh, inclusivity, diversity, uh, accessibility kind of focus as it has been, and I think that's kind of what we've become excited about. Uh, for me, the, the the reason the land acknowledgement is what I'm learning about is because that's what's challenging me the most, right? Like, there's so many articles that I've been um, consuming recently about, like, how, like, both sides of this, like, from from indigenous people saying both sides of it, right? One of one being like, uh, "fuck your land acknowledgement," and then the other one being, "no, they matter because of this," right? And and the conclusion, like what I've learned from it is I don't, I, I don't know shit, right? Like, and it's not up to me to come up with that knowledge, but it's up to me to seek it. Um, and, and so that, that's what we'll come back with season two with, right? Is more of those conversations with, uh, I, I think like we're going to take a focus on, on more, uh, bringing more people on board and listening to the, the things that they have to say and talking about those as well. You said this, I think off air, right? Is leaning into the uncomfortable, being okay with being uncomfortable. So that that's where I'm at is... I don't know, right? What my te- what my purpose is, what my telos is, like in terms of, like I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. But I know that it has to do with uh, making space for other people and empowering them and listening when they're saying that I'm getting in the way. The other part, much less interesting probably, but is. Like, we've kind of always danced around this question of whether we can change people's minds or not. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, not just in in light of this podcast, but just in general. Um, And I've not landed anywhere except for this. Like, I, I grew up full conservative, right? I grew up, like, whatever, all the things that that means, like, in terms of the other right lgbtq abortion like host anti all those things and i have come to land fully not that right at the opposite extreme so i i do know that there is change that is possible and that change was made possible through people through interactions with people and very slowly over the course of time and at times a lot faster but like in a whole conversation of whether we can change people's minds or not, I th- I think that we've kind of bounced back and forth, and like I I, I want to land on this season that like we can, you can, and it comes into like what, it, what, what it's hard, but it comes to uh, giving people a, a way out, right? giving people that space to change their minds and not um, affronting them. Uh, I don't, uh, again, this is probably the thing that I've learned is that I don't have the answers. I don't know where that lands in terms of equivalence, right? Like moral equivalence, because uh, racism is bad. Racism is oppressive. Sexism is bad. Sexism is oppressive. So, uh, like, 
I don't know where that lands when somebody has a, a, an extremely uh, oppressive perspective and how do you make space for them to change it. I just know that I did and I did change it uh, over the course of many conversations and a long time. So that's where I want to end it. More questions than answers and I'm okay with that and I, and I hope that you are as well. Yeah, so thanks for being with us for the season. This has been Miss Q's. See you next season. Yeah. We'll miss you. Yeah. Keep in touch.